Good morning. This is uh, part 11 in the teaching series I'm doing on, on uh, Ephesians. And we have been in uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 for a, a couple of weeks now. And we're going to be in those verses again today. But just to uh, do a quick review before we uh, get into today's teaching. In, in uh, verse 11 of chapter 2, of Ephesians, Paul singles out the Gentiles and says, remember that at one time you Gentiles. And he and he does this on purpose to uh, for both the Gentiles and the Jews that are in the church. So they would now see uh, how God, what God is doing and what God has done in Christ for the Gentiles and the Jews to, and individually. And so that the Jews and Gentiles would now see each other through the lens of what God did in Christ, not through their past experiences and their past understandings of how they saw each other. So he's, Paul was trying to bring a, a, an understanding of the revelation that in Christ, Christ came to give his life not only just for the Jews, but for the Jews and the Gentiles, because there was something not just individually he wanted to do with each of those groups, but together they would become the one new man. And that's what we focused on last week in verse 14 through 16. I'll read that. And for he, meaning he, Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in this flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So here he singles out the Gentiles. So the Gentiles and Jews who used to see each other with this animosity and were not, they had this hostility between each other. He makes this point so that the Jews and Gentiles now can see each other through this new lens. Jesus is our peace. He has made both one and has broken down the wall of hostility between them. And that, that wall that they built up, not just a physical wall, but the internal wall of how they view each other and see each other and then relate to each other. And he came to break that down. And then verse 15, he says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Abolished a lot of commandments where he kept them separated. And, and, and uh, he said he knows he's created in himself, Christ has, one new man in the place of the two. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's one new man, the body of Christ, with Christ being the head of the body. And so he's made peace. And so he's talking because there was there was not peace between the Jews and Gentiles up to this point. It wasn't even possible because of the commandments and rules that they adhered to and that kept them separate. And he now he's in Christ. In Christ, they made one, one new man. That's the revelation, the mystery that's unfolding that God was in Christ making one new man of these two separate peoples. And in verse 16, and that he reconciled us both to God in one body. We're called to come to Christ in one body, not separately, but one people together through the cross. And so Jesus recognized both Jewish and Gentile believers to God in one body. What does he mean by reconcile here? And, 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 and um, uh, how, is he, how is that accomplished? He reconciled. It means a restored relationship. The purpose of Christ's death was not simply that Jews and Gentiles should be recognized, reconciled to each other, but that both of them together as one body be reconciled to God. The church as one cannot have a real relationship with God if we are not reconciled 
with each other. And here Paul's talking about we cannot come together as one body unless we have peace with each other. And Christ came to make peace between us and to destroy that wall, that hostility we may have. It can be for them, the Jews and Gentiles, there's one thing, it could be age, it could be gender, it could be um, cultural, it could be economic, uh, all these different uh, ways that we separate each other uh, uh, from each other. He's saying Christ came to make peace. And, uh, and how did God do that? Through the cross. Through the cross by which Christ put to death the, 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 the en- enmity between people and God. Now, Colossians 1, 19 through 20 is another verse I just want to read as we move on here. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through the hostility of the cross, Christ put to death the hostility that was between them, the Jews and the Gentiles, and God, and between each other. And so that a state of peace could be restored between them and God and, and, and between each other so they could be one people, this one new man, so that we would then, as a people together, united, we reflect the, the, uh, the reflect Christ on the earth here. Let's read verse, 13, uh, verse 17 through 19 is what we really, we're going to go into today. Um, and he came, meaning Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. If you look back at verse 12 in chapter 2, when Paul uh, separates and speaks specifically to the Gentiles, for the Gentiles and Jews to hear, he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. And now in verse um, 19, he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. He's wanting the Jews and the Gentiles both uh, the Gentiles, how, to sh- how they should see themselves now in Christ, and how the Jews should see the Gentiles, and how they should see each other. So they're all, whether Jew or Gentile, they're residents, they're members, part of God's household. And if you look at these verses, verse 17 through 19, there's some things you can conclude. You come to this conclusion as a Jew or a Gentile, how to see each other. See, Jesus saw and was treating them as equals now. Both of them have equal access, equal admission to the Father, and they shared equally in the same Spirit of God. And and see, they're no longer, the Gentiles are no longer strangers, but they're fellow citizens. They have equal rights, they have equal holiness, they have equal authority, and they're kin. They're, they're, They're part of the same family. They have equal responsibility, not only equal authority and rights, but they also have equal responsibility and authority to carry on the Father's business. And see, Paul is trying to get them to understand and start to see one, their, them, themselves and each other from God's perspective in Christ. And when he says, he says, here's part of the mystery being revealed now. It was hidden in times past. So before, they didn't see this. The Jewish people, nor the Gentiles, saw this. But Paul is understanding what, it, what God purposed in Christ 
and what will come to its full fruition when Christ returns, we're supposed to see right now and start to live in, in the light of that reality. You see, that this are our beliefs about who God is and uh, who we are uh, because of what Christ has done affects how we see ourselves and how we see the world we live in and the circumstances we encounter as well as our speech is affected, our behavior, and in turn it challenges us to respond appropriately and responsibly to what Christ has done. We're called to treat each other as equals. Here he's talking to the Jew and Gentile, which were, there, there was this great hostility between them. But in Christ, he's calling them to go beyond that and see that Christ has killed that hostility. And now they're called to be at peace with each other and to be one body and to be seeing each other as equals, not as one above the other. And see, in Ephesians, the barrier with ethnicity between the Jews and the Gentiles and this long history they had. But today, in, in our world, this is very much applicable. It, there, you know, the barrier for them was ethnicity. Today, it can be race. It can be gender. It can be cultural. It can be age. It can be denominations. And we, we hold these uh, uh, internal barriers that are, are, are built up uh, based on our culture and our experiences and, and teachings that happen and, and perspectives. All these things affect us. And, and God wants us to see each other in light of what Christ has done and who we are in Christ. And we were called to see beyond these things. And just as Christ came to make peace, we are called to make peace with each other. And we cannot together uh, be at peace with God as one body unless we're at peace with each other. And this means we have to be intentional, intentional uh, about uh, seeing beyond uh, the, the barriers we've created and help take down those walls in our day. Now let's read on to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 20 through 22. It should bring us to the end of, the, uh, of, the, of this uh, section of Scripture. I'm actually going to read verse 19 and into 20 through 22. Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. From verse, you know, chapter, verse 20 here in chapter 2, it says the, the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, are built together on a foundation. The question is, who is and who is not the foundation? It seems like a silly question because we read it here uh, talking about the, the foundation of apostle and prophets of Christ Jesus himself. But some have used this verse to say the apostles and prophets are the foundation in order to emphasize our need for these ministry offices currently in, in our day. And, and also our need to respond to these uh, office, offices of, of apostle and prophets with regard to what they may be currently teaching. This opens the door to some false teaching. Ephesians 2 verse 20 is not saying the apostles and prophets are the foundation, but that who they proclaim, Jesus Christ, is the only foundation and the cornerstone. You know, Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 11, I'll read that, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians or here in uh, Ephesians is Jesus Christ, not the, not the apostles and prophets. They, with Paul, helped lay the foundation, helped set the foundation in place, who is Jesus Christ. The apostles and prophets are not the foundation. And then the question comes up, well, is, is, is there such a thing as apostolic or prophetic ministry today? And if so, how do you recognize uh, a true apostolic or, or prophetic ministry if there's, there's uh, false ones around? Now, we're going to get into that when we get into chapter 4, but I want to read a couple of verses there and make a, a couple of comments here before we continue back into chapter 2. In, verse, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 11 through 13, I'm going to read, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, now he meaning Jesus, he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's those few verses where he talks about there's these uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers that he's given to equip the saints until we come to a, a place of full of unity in the faith. And so the question would, would be, how long are we to have these ministries? Well, the key word is until we attain to the unity of faith. The church is not there yet. We haven't come to that full place of unity yet. And so there are uh, to be apostles and, uh, and, and prophets uh, in our day, even as they were then. Now, when I say apostles, I don't mean uh, as apostles as in the early days who established the scriptures. There's no one now to give us new new uh, scriptures to read and, and to have, just like we have, our, uh, have the Bible. But there are apostles of apostolic or prophetic ministry that is around. And so how do you recognize the true ministry of the, these apostles and, and prophets um, and the, the key word is, is uh, do they always call, or the key word, but the key thought would be they always, they always call us back to the foundation, the cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's going to be some hearing this thing, like, well, there's a variety of other scriptures to, to test if they're prophets and apostles. I know that. I'm not going to go into depth that right now. I'm just wanting to, to, to make a statement saying, is, is Paul in verse uh, 20 um, of uh, chapter 2, where he talks about the foundation the apostle prophets built was Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So those early prophets, they built on, they, they established the cornerstone who was Jesus Christ. So true apostolic ministry, true prophetic ministry is going to always call us back to the foundation, to the cornerstone, who is Jesus Christ himself, the person. In Acts 20, verse 29, uh, Paul writes, or not Paul, but Luke writes about Paul's experience with the Ephesian elders. And he says, I know that after, Paul was saying to the elders there, I know that after my departure, meaning he was about to die, he knew, he knew his end was coming. He says, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. And so here's, a, here's what they're doing. These, these ones that would rise up, who may call themselves apostolic or prophetic ministry, or leaders, influencers, they're going to they're try to, to draw, 
make disciples after themselves, not after Jesus, the person Jesus, but after themselves. So some questions to ask when evaluating apostolic or prophetic ministry, is it being built by Jesus? Is it being built on Jesus? Is it being built for Jesus? Does what being built reflect Jesus? Now, you know, what does that mean? The Jesus we see in the Gospels, where the life of Christ is, is, is an example and an expression of, of the Father we have in heaven also. And so, so is, is what the, the apostolic prophetic ministry is being claiming to be that, if someone is, does what they're building reflect the true Jesus we see in the Gospels? Individually, as individuals, or even corporately, what they're building together as a people. Now, verse. let's go back now. I want to leave that, and we're going to go back to verse 20 here. Uh, um, and we'll touch more on uh, uh, the apostles and prophets when we come to chapter 4. Uh, verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, what is a cornerstone of a physical building? And what's its purpose or function? And how does that relate to the structure Paul's talking about here? Now, now Paul's talking about the cornerstone, which was a physical stone that helped, that was a part of building a, a building uh, or, or constructing a building. And so Paul is using this as an analogy, a metaphor, to point to something Christ is building with his people. And let's look at that there. So the cornerstone was a large stone that was placed in, in the corner in a, a physical building and it would it would serve to form a part of each of the two walls that would meet at, at that angle, at that, at that meeting place, and it would hold the two walls together. Remember, Paul, Paul talked about Jesus Christ came to the, destroy the wall of hostility, and now he was taking he's taking these two walls and joining them together. So care must be taken to place that large, stable cornerstone in each in each corner of the building, because the building is going to rest mainly on the cornerstones. If they're too small, unstable. And it shifts, the whole building will be insecure. That's why the cornerstone cannot be apostles or prophets. They're, they're humans, they're people. Christ Jesus is the Son of God. So it has to be Christ as the cornerstone, who will never be unstable, who will never shift, who is never too small. The cornerstone and that would, would, would serve, that physical cornerstone would serve as a scale of the shape and the dimension of the building to be built. And see, during the construction, the workers would refer back to the cornerstone to be sure they were complying with the designer's plan. See, Jesus is the cornerstone. So it's cornerstone. He's an unmovable, unshakable cornerstone of the church, just as a is in a physical building. See, he's the foundation. He is build. He is the building designer, in the design in the building builder, and what is built is built on him, and it's built for him. See, Jesus is connecting, is the connecting cornerstone by which the Jews and the Gentiles were united in the same building. See, Jesus is our peace. He's the one that's brought those walls together. Formerly, though, that there was a wall of hostility. Now there is to be a wall of a unity between the two who were separated because of what Christ has done. Now, this isn't about a physical building. We can use, Paul's using that physical building for them to see themselves as those separate walls and to come together as one people to take shape as what Christ is building 
in, in, he didn't just die to forgive our sins and be separated people. There's something more. He purposed this one new man, a people of different nations, tongues, uh, race, all those things come together as one body with Christ being the head. In verse 21, Paul sees he sees uh, and speaks of this structure being joined and growing together as a temple made both of Jews and Gentiles. The vision and purpose of God, uh, the mystery being revealed, is that the people are the temple that is being built and fit together of both Jews and Gentiles. It's no longer a physical building. Now, this idea of the people being the temple is not something new. And we can look at and look at some scriptures in Acts and in First Corinthians, where Paul uh, talks about and Luke writes about uh, the martyr Stephen, and, and also Paul's writing in Corinthians. Uh, to show us that this idea of God was building uh, a temple made out of people, not out of physical uh, stone and wood. And so let's look at Acts 7, 44 through 50. And this is, um, this, is Paul, this is actually Stephen before he's martyred, the first martyr, and he's saying to the, to the people, the Jewish people watching, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, directing him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen is telling us that those old physical buildings of stone and wood were a picture pointing to something Christ was going to do, God was going to do through Christ in building a a temple made out of people that he would dwell in their midst. Now let's look at Acts 17.22. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, you know, he's talking to the Gentiles there. And Paul says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar within this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundary of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul talking to these Gentiles who are not Christian, trying to convince them of Christ, he's talking about God made all these things. And you're thinking about what you've made in this God dwells in that place where you control him. He's saying, no, God, he does, God does not. The Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by hands. He's near to us. And Paul's hinting at this reality that the temple is the people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 
in verse chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, verse 19, he also says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. See, man-made structures are not where God dwells. And this is not just pertaining to building, but also uh, to the structures or systems of how a church service is structured. Now, if you just look at the chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16 through 17, where he talks about you are, meaning you, plural, meaning the people together are God's temple. And he says in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's talking about you, the people, and if you're doing things, saying things, that are dividing and actually destroying and causing disruption of what God has purposed in the body of Christ together. He said he'll destroy you. He also talks about us as a people, as individuals. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God came to live in us. And we, uh, his spirit now is clothed in us as human beings. And together we are the temple of God. Is what, is what Paul says uh, back in verse 22 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, I just mentioned also that it's not just man-made structures or not where God dwells, like physical buildings and stone and wood. This also pertains to the structures or the systems or the traditions that we, as, as a people of God, uh, hold together and how we see our church services and how they're structured, how our institutions are structured and maintained, meaning not the physical building, but the way we do things as a church and how we respond to God together. Now, if we consider these two groups of Paul's writing to, the Jews and the Gentile, they have this long history. They, they have and, and, uh, and know of these physical temples, whether it's Jew or Gentiles. And, and how could these two groups be taking this new things Paul is telling them about? It's not about a physical temple, not about a physical building to be in. How does that affect theirs and, and even our views of physical buildings and institutional uh, structures and traditions that we hold to? It would, be, it would have been really hard for both these groups to get this, their heads around this because this is all they understood, uh, the, these physical buildings as these temples, the place where they interact with God. And uh, it would have been revolutionary. It would have been earth It would have been mind-blowing to them to think differently, to see themselves, that God was bringing them together to be a people that God would dwell by His Spirit in them. See, before they had to go to the temple to sacrifice, to hopefully appease God and to come into his presence. And, but now, realize that God gave his life to forgive us and, to be, and, 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 and it's his pleasure to come to dwell in us forever as his temple. Habakkuk, in chapter 2, verse 2 through 3, it says, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So why is Paul making this idea of us as the temple of God an emphasis? What was he personally working for or serving here? He sees that this, this is part of the mystery that was hidden in God before Christ. And Paul now sees it's not just Christ giving his life so people could be forgiven, 
but that we were restored in relationship with God individually. But not only that, that God purposed all along that, that the people of God would be united in such a way that he would dwell in them. Now that's going to find its fullness in the end. Like it, it, as Habakkuk talks about, he says, it, 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 it hastens to the end. It's coming. And here's this vision. Paul's writing this down. He's making it plain as he possibly can by using this metaphor of physical buildings as a picture of what God purposed all along with people. And he says he's making it plain so they can run who read this. And it's got an appointed time, and it seems to be slow, but he says, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. We need to be encouraged by this. See, this picture what God's uh, uh, God purposed in Christ for the body of Christ to be one new man, to be this structure that's being joined together, that grows into this holy temple, so that it's built together to be God's dwelling place on the earth. See, the previous temple for the Jews, that was seen as the place where heaven and earth meant was the temple. God's presence was there. But in Christ giving his life, he tore the, he tore the veil. And Christ, the Spirit of, because of Christ, the Spirit of God came out from that place and came to dwell in people as individuals, but also as a people together. That God would, that then the people of the world would then see where heaven and earth touches, heaven and earth comes together is where God dwells in his people. That's us together. So here's his vision. Paul's writing it down, making it plain so we can see it and we can give our life to that purpose. It's not just living holy and righteous and those things. Those are important. But to see beyond that to the purposes of God in Christ, to be one people united, submitted together under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of His Son, Jesus. So Paul was laboring for God's vision and God's purpose of this one new man and this temple being built and growing together from the two groups, from the Jews and Gentiles. And he's emphasizing this for others to catch God's vision. Paul already has it, and he wants them to catch it, and he wants us, us to catch it. To catch God's vision and purpose so that they and we can pursue it and run after it just as he was. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. And This is Paul writing. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have it uh, have obtained. Now, now, sometimes we read this talking about us being personally better as Christians in Christ, and we're pressing on towards that goal to be more like Jesus. I think that's part of it. But I think Paul understands his grander vision that God purposed something in Christ, the one new man. And Paul says, I haven't, I haven't laid hold of it. I haven't had it. But I'm letting go of all my past, and I'm, I'm pressing forward. And we who are mature to think the same way, it's not just about becoming better as an individual. It's about becoming part of that temple and helping others move forward in becoming united, that we become the one new man, a people set apart for God that it may glorify Him. And so Paul calls their attention, he calls our attention to the cornerstone who is Jesus. 
and his vision and his design and his desire for so we could give ourselves to that very end. Now, how does this idea of us being the temple relate or apply to our current culture of Christianity about buildings and church services and the institution of the church itself? We have to reorient our view to match what Paul is saying, or we will constantly be making the building, making the institution, making the church services, the church events, uh, the, 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 the foundation or the, the end goal, and those are not the goal. And then we end up focusing on the survival and and maintaining the success of that institution, that building, and that church service. And we pour all our energy into those things, and they become the goal instead of Christ, who is the foundation, and his purpose in the body of Christ being a reflection of the glory of God and who, who Christ is. So I want to challenge you challenge you to take a look at this, think this through, see what Paul is saying, and catch hold of this this vision. He's written it down for us. He's made it plain. We need to run after it who read it. This vision awaits appointed time. It's going to come to its, its, its appointed time. It's going to come to fruition fully when Christ comes, but between now and then, it's coming, and we may be waiting for it, and it may be slower, it may be far off in the distance for us, but it's going to surely come, and it will not delay, and we are called to pursue it and to press on toward that goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the fullness of what God purposed in Christ for us. There is much more to say about this, but we've run out of time for today. Uh, we've uh, It's about 30 minutes or so here, and and we'll pick up uh, on this topic on the next episode and next week. So until then, you have a blessed week.